welcome to the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And today we're going to talk about a scenario that happens to all of us. And we it's when we get into a situation in which we're playing a match, which theoretically we should win, or theoretically we should lose. And the reason I say theoretically is I think, Josh, you would agree, we hate to judge the result before the match is actually played. But in reality, if we're using systems like NTRP or UTR or World Tennis Number, there are going to be matchups in which, yeah, you're the one who's supposed to win or you're the one who is supposed to lose. However, using, you know, judging uh, the outcome like that doesn't always lead to great performances. And as we were discussing before we began recording, Josh, there would never be any upsets if we always just accepted this prejudgment of of uh, of the outcome. And so, you know, anybody who's familiar with with tennis knows that number one players, number one seeded players, often lose in the first round. Uh, it happens in all sports. There are upsets, and so we want to bring a little bit of that into this 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 perspective of matches that we should win or are supposed to win or are supposed to lose um, and how we can do better in those situations. So I think uh, to get us started, Josh, let's look at some of the dangers of judging the outcome of a particular match that uh, we're supposed to win. Because that happens often, I would say, that we look at a matchup and, oh, I should win that match or I'm supposed to win that match. Somebody may even come up to you and say, oh, Josh, you know, that's you should win that match pretty easily. You may not even know who the player is. And now now you've got this thing going through your head of you're supposed to win, etc. Right. So um, what do you think are some of the dangers when we have that kind of thought going through our head of I should win um, or I've been told I should win? Yeah, so the, the, these sorts of pressures or expectations can come from a couple of different places. It can come from ourselves or it can come from others. And you, you brought up the situation of somebody saying, you're supposed to win or you should win or, oh, you're so much better than this person. It should be easy, right? And I think whenever you expect a match will be easy or expect that you should win, you go in thinking that you're not going to have to fight your hardest, thinking that you might not have to play your best. And that can lead to a lot of issues in terms of um, maybe not being fully committed to the match. Maybe you don't respect the opponent. Um, You know, you think you can overlook this upcoming match, let's say in a tournament, you think you can overlook this upcoming opponent in order to get to the next one or, oh, I should be able to get to the finals, right? Then maybe we hear that sometimes. Um, So, it can it can definitely lead to a number of different issues. I think you know the, the commitment and you know being fully committed, fully invested in a match is is a big one, a big one that I see. Um, and I, I think having other people arounding around you that that are saying that you should win, it almost can lead to a sense of embarrassment or like shame if if it's close. If someone's telling you, oh, you should beat that person easily. And then you're playing in the match and it's tight, it's three all in the first set, then then that can lead to frustration. Rather than you, you know, saying, Hey, this is a tight match, I need to do everything in my power here, you're saying I should 
I should have already won the set 6-0. Um, I should be off the court already, you know, um, rather than, hey, I need to fight here and do everything in my power. So it can really shift your focus and mindset to a point of, hey, I, I need to fight and do, you know, control the controllables, make sure that I'm doing everything in my power here to I should be off the court. So these sorts of expectations can definitely have a harmful impact. And I think it's important to be aware of the way you're viewing a situation, the way that you're talking to yourself and, you know, being intentional with your self-talk to try to avoid these sorts of expectations and pressures impacting you in this way. When we have that matchup where, like we're saying, maybe technically you should win this match or you're supposed to win this match, but you go in with that attitude, it's really a lack of respect and, and almost a sense of like you're entitled to win this match in a way. And, and as you said, Josh, maybe that leads to uh, not as much effort um, on what you know the, the player is trying to do, or they can get away with not trying so hard, or they get away with not being as focused as they normally would if they were playing a, a quote-unquote better player. So I think it's, it's a lot about a lack of respect for, for the opponent. I mean, that's something we'll want to address when we get to the other side of this discussion, which is really what are the better ways to approach uh, situations. I think this, in both situations of uh, whether we should win or should lose, the big thing that's really at play here is uh, the judgment piece, as well as we're focused much more on the result, winning and losing. And, and, and that, of course, leads to you know some improper focus when we're actually performing. And that probably is more of an issue in this first situation where you are the better player. And if, you know, that what, what could lead to three all in a set that maybe should have been much easier is that lack of focus. You're so just invested in the result somehow that it should be happening that you're not getting down to what you actually need to do. So um, I remember years ago, I was playing in a, in an indoor league here in Massachusetts, which has a time limit of uh, 90 minutes for singles matches. And so uh, one of my teammates did this exact same thing, Josh. He saw who he was playing and he said, oh, I'll be done in about 30 minutes. And so, you know, we're looking at the clock and, uh, it's, you know, it's like 45 minutes. Now it's an hour. Haven't seen Dave yet. Where is he? Turns out he wins the match by one game. It went all the way to time. And he won it by one game. And I know that him stating that he was going to be done in 30 minutes was a factor in that match. If he had just respected the opponent a little bit more, perhaps he would have been finished in a you know more efficient manner. So yeah, I think that is, is, is one of the ma- major dangers here is you're getting so focused on the result not enough focus on the process. You know, your, your focus is essentially too broad. It's not narrow enough down to what you what you need to do. And like you said, you can become very frustrated at times during these matches. And that's when it doesn't feel like fun. Why is this happening? And I think we start to use language that would, I think we'd characterize as a little bit irrational, shoulds and oughts and why is this happening type of stuff, not productive self-talk, really 
uh, and I mean not destructive, but certainly not helpful. And and so it's not going to help you, you know, achieve uh, the kind of performance that you want. Because like we've talked about, we can't really control winning, but we can do our best to um, create a controllable environment around attitude, effort, and so forth. And so a lot of that goes away, and you don't get a lot out of this type of match if that's your attitude, except I can't do that anymore, right? Um so how about in the the other situation, Josh? It's now we're we're supposed to lose. What are some of the dangers or common pitfalls that you see when players go into a match assuming they're going to lose? Yeah, it's it's definitely common. Um, you know, somebody let's say is playing and the, their opponent is two, three, four uh, UTR points ahead of them, and they say, "Hey, I don't." really have a chance here. And, I, and and that can lead to different things that can lead to tanking or, you know, a lack of a fight. Um, it can also lead to, you know, you, you put the opponent on a pedestal as if there's no way that you could ever potentially beat this person. Um, not, not keeping in mind that, you know, number one seeds or stronger players or higher ranked players lose all the time. There are upsets all the time in, at the grand slam level and certainly at the, at lower levels. So, um, you know, w- when you build a player up too much and put them on the pedestal, um, it can be very easy to discount your own chances and tell yourself, Hey, I don't have any chance of winning here. And even if you're supposed to lose, or, you know, you, you think the chances are very slim, there always is some chance. Um, but you don't give your, you don't give yourself a chance. You don't allow something to happen by, um, when you tell yourself that, that you can't do it. I mean, we've talked on the show in the past about self-belief and how the only way to potentially pull off an upset or, um, you know, make something special happen is by first believing that it can be done. Um, not that you will win or not that you should win, right? If you're, um, you know, a five UTR playing against an eight UTR, you know, not deluding yourself into thinking, okay, I, I should win this match. I'm going to win this match, but more so thinking, hey, I can win. I have the abilities to potentially win this match. And, you know, based on that, you can you can sort of use that as a starting point. Come up with a game plan. Right? Maybe you have to take some additional chances, right? Maybe, you know, I mean, we, we've uh, referenced our conversation with Todd Martin where he talked about, you know, lower ranked players, players maybe have 50 in the world or a hundred in the world playing against Nadal and expecting to beat him from the baseline. So if you're right, you're not, let's say you're not playing against Nadal, but you're playing against a player who is significantly higher ranked or rated than you. Um, maybe you have to change up your game plan and take some additional chances. Maybe you have to come to net more or go bigger with your serve or whatever it may be. Um, but you know, when you're in this, situation where you're supposed to lose um one of the fears is just going through the motions or tanking um because you expect it to happen i think you mentioned the idea of believing and i want to relate this to uh hope theory hope itself gets a little bit of a bad rap as being this wishy-washy concept but if you look at the the theory behind it some of the more academic research behind hope it really has three components one is identifying a goal and believing that you can get there. Um, 
that you have the agency, right? The ability to to take steps to get there, and then you you have the motivation to do it. So really, this is a great situation to apply hope. And when you have that belief, then you can start to create a plan. Because um, I think that is one of the biggest aspects of this that happens when we're supposed to lose is we go in with zero plan. Basically, we're just going to go and take our beating. And um, if we can have, like you said, belief, have hope that this can happen, then we can go to the next step and and try to come up with a plan as much as we can. Um if there's that situation where, um, you know, it's a really big difference, okay, uh, maybe the plan is, 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 is different. It's, maybe it's just about, I'm going to work on my serve or I'm going to try to do something with my serve, something controllable. But um, I think that is one of the dangers I see is that players don't go in with a plan. They don't have hope. They don't have belief. And so um, you mentioned, you know, there's a lack of effort. There's a lack of fight really due to a poor mindset. Of, uh, I won't win, so what What does it matter? And, um, yeah, we're over-respecting the opponent. In the first scenario, we're not showing enough respect. Here, probably over-respecting. Because everybody you play, they're human. How do you know that this guy didn't, you know, get a bad night's sleep or was out partying all night or something? Because he didn't respect you. You never know. Um and so it's uh, if you can go in with uh, a, a better attitude, with a plan, et cetera, then uh, you don't know what can happen. But we're all human. Everybody's got a, a breaking point. We don't want to just go through the motions because there's an opportunity here to grow in some way, hopefully. Um, and at the very least, you want to be proud of how you competed, how you conducted yourself in this, in this situation. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of different things that I think uh, you know players can do better here. But I think in terms of the dangers, it's that, that really no plan, lack of effort type of thing, just assuming they're going to lose. Um, and that's not, that's not competing, right? Um, so how about we talk now about some better ways, Josh, of approaching these situations. So in that first scenario when we should win, um, and hopefully these better scenarios will help people with the dangers because I'm sure everybody recognizes these dangers that we've, we've talked about because they are common, like you said. Feeling pressure, especially in that should-win situation, is so, so common. And uh, I hear it all the time, oh, I should have won that set 6-1. At the end of the day, nobody really cares whether you won it 6-1 or 6-3. Maybe UTR cares for their algorithm, but... That's, that's not really the big thing here. So in a situation where a player should win, what, what's some of your advice to, to players in that situation? I would say it all starts with the mindset, and you can really break that down into, are you viewing this as a threat or as an opportunity? Um, and once you can view it as an opportunity, okay, even let's say I should win, I'm playing a player who's ranked or rated lower than me. I can view this as an opportunity to um, benefit in different ways. I can, you know, practice against 
certain types of players that maybe I've struggled against in the past. Maybe it's more of a counter puncher, even like a, you know, pusher type player. Um, maybe it's somebody with, you know, a, a certain type of strength, maybe a serve or a lefty or wh- whatever it may be. So you can view it as an opportunity to play and to play better um, to, to, you know, to, to continue master um, playing against certain types of players. Um, and, and also, you know, view it as a chance to practice, uh, certain aspects of your game as an opportunity to practice uh, certain aspects of your game. I think one way to do this, you know, if there are certain players that like to stick to the baseline, like to maybe be more consistent, uh, more of a counter puncher player, if you're playing somebody that you should win against or you're, you know, ranked rated higher against, um, you can decide to come to net a lot more. You can serve and volley, you can chip and charge, you can work on some of these aspects of your game that maybe at times you neglect or you don't spend as much time focused on, or you don't play as many points at the net, let's just say. Um, And you can incorporate that into your strategy a lot more knowing that you maybe have a little bit more wiggle room against this particular person. So that's, that's one, one strategy, or maybe you, you know, you decide to use certain shots a little bit more. Maybe it's your slice, maybe it's, um, you know, different types of spins, but thinking about, how you can you know practice some of these other aspects of your game that maybe you don't practice as much or don't incorporate as much um, is is definitely a good strategy. But it all starts with how you view it. If you can view it as an opportunity to play against different types of players and practice different aspects of your game rather than a threat of okay, if I lose this or if it's too close, it's going to really hurt my UTR rating or it could hurt my ranking. So um, it all starts with how you're viewing the situation. Not only is it an opportunity, Josh, but if you're a competitive player, the reality of competitive tennis is you will play people who you should beat. You will play people who are right in your zone where you're even with, and you will play people who are better than you. Um, and so the reason I bring that up is I will hear from a lot of like juniors and their parents that they don't want to play other juniors who are not as good as their son or daughter. They just want to play up all the time. And, you know, when you listen to coaches who are really good at developing players, they'll say, no, you should be playing a third of your practice matches against players you should beat, a third of your practice matches against players right in your, right at your level, and then a third of your practice matches against players who are better than you. Because that's reality. When you play competitive tennis, you're going to have to face all of those scenarios. So this is an opportunity to practice playing a realistic situation, somebody you're supposed to beat. Um, and so looking at it that way as a practice opportunity, I think is is also helpful uh, because it's real. Um, then you have the opposite. I think we'll get into this a little bit more later, but there are some players who like winning so much that they will rarely schedule practice against somebody who can actually beat them. They want to sort of keep a perfect ledger of I win all the time, et cetera, and that feeds into something, you know, some sort of ego thing. But then when they get into a tournament, you're naturally going to face people who are, who are better than you. And how will you be able to handle that again if you don't know how to practice or play against that that person? So I think you're right. It is how we look at it, but let's add a dose of realism to it. These situations will happen if you are a competitive player. Um. So, again, I think when we are looking at the situation of we should win, 
we've got to make sure respect is a big part of that. Respect everybody who steps out onto the court. They deserve our best effort. They deserve our best attitude. Uh, nothing is entitled here. Everything is earned. Roger Federer had a great quote in a pre-match interview several years ago where he said, um, the challenge for every athlete is to bring it every single day. And this was uh, from a pre-match interview where he was playing Richard Gasquet, who he had, I think, maybe two losses to his entire career. He could have easily said, I should beat Richard Gasquet pretty easily, but he didn't. He's like, you know, the challenge is you got to do it every single day. Um, Because he knew he could lose if he doesn't bring it every single day. Um, And so in this situation, I like to use the pre-match interview as a formula for how to better talk about these matchups. And the first thing you do is you say something positive or complimentary about your opponent. And it could be just they try really hard. They fight hard. They do whatever. It doesn't have to be that specific. Or it could be like, hey, so-and-so has been playing pretty well lately. She won her first round, so she's obviously playing well. That kind of sets us up now for taking the opponent seriously. Part two of that formula, now bring it back to yourself. Talk about how you've been playing. Confident in your game. I've been playing and training well, etc. And then the last thing is, last part of the formula, what are you going to do today? I'm going to go out there. I'm just going to you know, give it my best effort. Um, you know, Play with great attitude. All these little things. You don't have to give away your game plan. But bring it down to the controllable. So what we've done here is move from thinking about the result and shifting the orientation from down to respect and down to what we can actually control. So while most of us are not going to be interviewed before our matches on television, you can have this conversation with yourself about how to talk about the opponent. Um And when you get really good at that, and then somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you should win this match easily, in a way, you know how to deal with it. You can dismiss it and just say, look, they have have good intentions. You know, it's my teammate or so-and-so. They want to make me feel better about the match. But I also know that they're also dumping a lot of pressure on me by getting focused on the result. I have to come back to this three-part formula. Say something complimentary about the opponent, talk about how I'm training and playing well, and then what I'm going to do today. Um, And so I think uh, if we can have more of that type of thought process going into the match, and everything you said, Josh, I, I, I love, because you're now getting us down to, let's make sure we get specific process goals. Even if you're not working on something new, it might just be, all right, this match, I'm just going to grind this person, right? My cross-court forehand, that's my best shot. I'm going to really look to to sharpen that up because I know I'm going to need it in you know, a future match at some point. And so we're narrowing our focus down to you know, really specific process goals. And, and maybe there are new things. Maybe there are other things that we just want to really tune up as, as, as part of our process and really make the, the opponent uncomfortable. So just wanted to stop there, see if you had any additional thoughts. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of good things there. Um, 
I, I would say, yeah, in terms of in terms of the process goals, um, they can be on both sides. They can be on the um, more strategic side or they can be on the mental side. I mean, one process goal could be to make sure that you're really using that in-between points routine. Sometimes I talk to players and they they say, okay, I, you know, there are certain times where I used it and other times I didn't. Or, oh, I'm only using it on the match, you know, during matches. I don't use it during practice. So viewing it as an opportunity to practice that and to really try to get to that point where it's automatic could be um, an opportunity, you know, whether you're supposed to win or supposed to lose. But that's, you know, a process goal that that you could put into place. And as you said, yeah, maybe it's your cross-court forehand that's a weapon. And, okay, here's a chance for me to really, um, you know, really utilize that and maybe dominate the court with that in a way that you wouldn't against a player who's, you know, around your level in theory, if you're playing a weaker player, here's an opportunity to really use that weapon as, you know, as the dominant factor on the court. Um, So I think, you know, viewing it in that way, viewing it as an opportunity and making sure, Hey, I want to make sure I get something out of this. Anytime I'm out on court, there's an opportunity to get something out of it. Um, You know, whether, whether it's somebody in theory who's stronger or weaker, I think, I think that's, that's an overlapping theme. For sure. For sure. All right. So let's get into a little bit of um, the scenario where we're projected to lose. We're playing that player who is, who is better than us. Again, this is a real situation. I do think we can handle this situation a little bit better if that's part of how we practice. Um, like I said, younger players are more likely to want to practice this scenario. Um, and I think, you know, other players who are more concerned with, with winning first will be less likely to practice this scenario. Um, and I think one of the dangers that can happen here that I didn't talk about, but in, in this scenario that we have to be aware of, and I think Jorge Capistani covered this for us in one of our early episodes, is that when we're in this matchup, we feel like we need to play up to the opponent's level, um, and that's—I mean—that that makes sense, right? We 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 think we have to be better, um, but we're not taking into account that it might be easier, probably easier, to get the opponent to play worse, to bring them a little bit closer to us, and that's what I think. Um, that Todd Martin quote about the way people play Rafael Nadal is so relevant here is that those players are they're trying to raise their game to be Rafa from the baseline, and there's very little chance of them being able to do that. But what if you decided to do things that he doesn't like? You try to sabotage him a little bit more. You try to make him play worse, get him confused. Uh, it may be really hard to do that, but at least you're trying to do the right thing. So I think a really good approach here is to try to make your opponent play worse. Can you, at the very least, make them work hard? Because if we're trying to play up all the time, what are you doing? You are actually increasing your likelihood of making mistakes. Going for targets you're not used to going for, or you're, you're not quite as proficient as hitting closer to the lines as your opponent would be, and so you're you're 
you you know your chances of making mistakes goes higher and higher the more that you you try to do that. So can you make the opponent work? Also realize there's no pressure on you. You have nothing really to lose in this situation. So try to embrace that opportunity, right? There's no threat here. Can we play a little bit more freely? Can we have a solid plan? Because uh, as you were saying earlier, Josh, you know, we've got to have that belief. And with the belief comes a plan. And through the plan, perhaps comes a good performance and and success. So um, I think that's, to me, the the most important thing is, uh, is, is really trying to make the opponent work hard, have a plan. And I think you said this earlier, let's not put them on a pedestal. They're human. And, uh, and like all humans, they can be, they can have a bad day. We could break them somehow, make them uncomfortable. Um, but the idea is uh, if they're going to win, make them earn it. And, and like, like all humans, they have weaknesses. They have moments where they have bad days. They have moments where they're not feeling their best. And just like we can think about, you know, any top player, whether it be a Nadal or Federer or a Barty or Serena or whoever it is, there are there are parts of their game that they struggle more with. They they do a better job at covering up those weaknesses. But I think if you if if you think back to any of those players or any other you know top players and you identify the matches where there have been upsets, it's it's a matter of you know the the players really keying in, really focusing in on certain you know flaws or weaknesses of their game. And identifying it and really attacking that. And, and you know, I, I think if players can try to bring that into their own games and, and you know, in certain matches where you're playing against a player who maybe you should, you know, should lose to, um, I, I think that that is definitely one one strategy that can be helpful. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I think also, you know, there's this attitude of respecting all and fearing none. Um, which is certainly applicable on both sides, you know, understanding that we don't want to overlook anybody. We want to make sure we're giving our opponents enough respect, um, but not having any fear, focusing more on, on what we need to do on our process goals, on our strategy, on our mindset, our attitude, um, and, you know, trying to make sure that those controllable factors, we're putting enough focus into these different areas that can actually impact the result, knowing that, the ultimately the outcome is out of our control and ultimately the opponent is out of our control too. What, how well the opponent's playing, um, you know, how they act, you know, their line calls, a lot of these factors are out of our control. So as much, you know, I think that's often a common theme, you know, when we have these conversations that a lot of it does boil down to, you know, this, this, I, this concept, this, this, you know, ancient stoic, stoic concept originally of, you know, making sure that you're controlling the controllables of doing everything in your power of, you know, controlling the controllables um, that, you know, if you are making sure that you're controlling your own side of the court and your own game plan and your own physical intensity and some of these other controllable areas, then, 
you know, ultimately you don't have to worry as much about what's going on on the other side of the court. Are you playing somebody really, really strong who you've built up in your mind? Are you playing somebody who's maybe weaker, um, who you think, you know, it, it should be an easy match. Um, ultimately you need to focus on yourself and on, you know, your game plan and on you producing a high level of tennis. And some of these other factors will start to fall into place. Well, what you just said there, Josh, really gets back to the, uh, low expectations, high standards approach, right? Which we've, we've mentioned many times. So yeah, regardless of the situation, can you go out there not expecting to win, not expecting to play great, but knowing that the path to those potential outcomes is by having a high standard on your controllable behaviors and having a good understanding of what those controllable behaviors are. Uh, you know, the, uh, the very basics are attitude and effort, but there could be other things with breathing, footwork, routines, etc. And if you can maintain a high standard on those controllables, then you're all, then you're setting yourself up for the very worst learning something today. And that's what we should get out of every every single match. I did emphasize the pre-match interview format in the should-win situation, but I'd like to emphasize it here as well. We still want to say something positive. And, you know, Rafael Nadal used to do this really early on in his career, maybe up until 2010, 2011. Every time he played Roger Federer, it'd be, oh, you know, he's the greatest player in history and so forth. Making himself be the underdog. And it's okay being the underdog, right? Well, like we said, there's not as much pressure there. But once you say something positive about your opponent, you know, who is supposedly better, you do, yeah, it's critical you move to saying something positive about you, how you've been training, how you've been playing, how happy are you with your game right now? Recognize that. Recognize there's a lot of goodness in what you're doing as a player. Um, and then... Bring it back to what we just said. Bring it back to having a high standard on these controllables. So that pre-match interview is important in really both of these scenarios because it gets us back down to the controllables, gets us back down to high standards on those controllables. Um, I think in the first situation where we're supposed to win, the respect piece for the opponent, saying something nice about the opponent is really important. In the second situation, saying something positive about ourselves is really important because it helps build up that hope. It gives us, you know, agency to do something. It gives us the pathways to do something. Um, and so don't discount that piece in that in that, that scenario. I think that's great advice. I mean, I think, you know, that that's something I haven't haven't used. Um, but I think that, you know, players that are listening can, can definitely think about, um, you know, what, how they can come up with a, a similar script or a similar, you know, formula almost, you know, go through those different stages, um, whether you're in either of these three situations of a match you should win, a match you should lose, or, you know, more evenly matched, you know, with a closer opponent. So I think that's, I think that's great advice. So Josh, any last um, suggestions for good approaches to either of these scenarios? I, I would end with being careful and being very aware of how you talk to yourself um, with self-talk. Um, 
trying to notice how am I viewing the situation? How am I communicating with myself about it? If I'm going into a match with somebody and I'm in my last thoughts before hitting the court are, okay, this should be easy. Um, I, I shouldn't have to try too hard here. It should be 6060 or alternative alternatively, um, this this is going to be really tough. I don't have any chance here. I think as soon as you start telling yourself either of those two things, you can start running into issues. So going back to that, you know, respect all, fear none mentality of knowing that anybody can beat anybody on any given day, um, that, you know, you still need to try your hardest. You still need to be, you know, moving your feet, still need to do everything in your power to win, whichever side of the coin you're on um, is going to make a big difference. I think you're right there because um, the irrational mind can throw out a lot of different thoughts. It's, it is sort of an involuntary thought machine. We really can't control our thoughts, but we can control, we can script some of the things that we need to hear. And I think that's what you're saying. And the more that we as players can be structured about what we need to hear and then use that voice, use it as a script, the better we'll be able to handle some of those irrational thoughts that will pop through and we'll be able to dismiss them, accept them a little bit easier. Um, but I think you're right, Josh, the self-talk is, is really, or the thoughts and maybe differentiating between thoughts and self-talk a little bit more, um, is very helpful in this situation because, uh, we as humans, we naturally judge things, um, and can we can we try to suspend that judgment to you know and bring it back down to the controllables, bring it back down to to our standards, right? Okay. Well, that was a great conversation. Really enjoyed that. Um, hopefully, all of you listeners did as well. Um, for more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me and Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag TennisIQ. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check us out on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.